Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. We're going to be talking about traceability this evening. The first recorded example of traceability, tracing, uh, was about one and a half thousand years before the current era. Ancient Greece, the island of Crete, there was a king there called Minos, and he had a palace called Knossos. You can still go and look at Knossos, it's, it's wonderful. Anyway, he, he had angered the god of the sea, which was called Poseidon. And Poseidon wanted to get him back, to punish him. So what Poseidon did, he got Min, uh, 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 Minos' wife to become in love with a nice big bull. As a stare. This is what gods do, you see. And in any event, this was quite horrible. I'm going to spare you the horrible details. The end result was that she was raped by this bull. And the result from that, of, from that union was a very interesting being, which was called a minotaur. Not to be confused with a centaur. A centaur has the, the body of, a, of, a, of an animal, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a, you know, a horse or something like that, and then the torso and the head of a human being. That's a centaur. Minotaur has the body of a man with the, with the neck and the, and, the, and the head of a bull. Terrible. And this was a ferocious animal. To keep him sort of at, uh, you know, uh, um, in, in control, Minos got the famous engineer of those days, a guy called Daedalus, to build some other containment structure. And he constructed what's known as a labyrinth which is really a form of a maze. Fairly easy to get into, but very difficult to get out of. And to keep this minotaur sort of comfortable, every nine years, the king had to provide seven young men and seven young women to go to the minotaur, and they were eaten up by this minotaur, and that kept him happy for the next five years. And because uh, uh, the enemy of, of Crete was Athens in those days, these were Athenians who were recruited to come and do their duty. Now, the king of Athens had a son called Theseus, which was a, a hero, which is another story. And by ballot, they selected who these seven poor gentlemen would be and the seven poor ladies, and Theseus was one of them. And sorry, but he had to go, and he said, I'm going to kill this minotaur. When they landed on Crete, the, the daughter of King Minos, a lady called Ariadne, immediately fell in love with this poor guy, Theseus. This is, again, this is what happens in these stories. And she got tremendously in love with him. Please marry me. And he said, well, I can't do that. I must first kill the, the Minotaur. And then she told him, you know, do that, but please come back to me. And then she told him, uh, Daedalus, when he had created this labyrinth, when Ariadne was much smaller, he had spoken to her and sort of gave her, he told her, this is the algorithm to get in, you know, take the first one left and the second one right, that kind of stuff, but to get out, there's only one way, take a ball of thread, you know, wool or something like that, you tie it to the door, and then as you go in, you, you put in the thread, and on your way back, you just follow the thread, easy, and it's exactly what happened. Theseus went in. Minosaur was surprised. Minotaur was surprised. Killed him. Came back. Wonderful. And he and Ariadne went back to, to Athens. To, to, anyway, that's another story. Um, but this is the first documented instance of tracing, where, where you trace somebody to go back. Now, Daedalus wanted to, uh, wanted to, to, to 
the king was very angry because this guy, somebody had gone into the labyrinth and killed the minotaur. So he was very angry, and the Daedalus decided he wanted to escape. But everything was blocked. There were road blockages, and there were blocks in the blockages at the, um, uh, or barricades rather, and in the port he couldn't get out. So he, being a good engineer, he fashioned himself some wings from feathers and from wax. And he built two pairs of these for him and his son, Icarus. And he warned Icarus, be careful. This is a wonderful wing, but if you fly too high, the sun will melt the wax. End of the wings. On the other hand, if you fly too low, the water, the, the, the waves will wet the uh, feathers. End of the, end of the wings. And as you know, the story went, he loved flying and he went too high and he died because of that. That's the f first documented example of a hazard analysis <laughs> and risk analysis, that kind of stuff. Now, the issue of traceability is fairly well known through many different um, uh, professions, industries, perhaps not by the same name, but it's a fairly common something. For example, if you do a financial audit of a company, one of the things you do is, example, CNA, big outfit, lots of shops around the country. What do you do? You go to the, some other outlet, put in a transaction of three cents. You know, buy something for three cents. And then you need to check that three cent transaction, the impact thereof on the financial books of the company, the balance sheet and the profit and loss statement. And if, it, if it's reflected there, well, you can trace it. Good. That's the way to do it. So traceability and tracing is a fairly well-known issue. Another example, which is an interesting example, is what the art, the art people do. Provenance, they call it. The history of ownership of a valued object, work of art, or of literature. The first edition of, of Darwin's book, Origin of Species. Documented evidence of provenance for an object can help to establish that it has not been altered, is not a forgery, a reproduction, stolen or looted art. I'm not in that market and I'm sure you aren't either, but if you want to buy a Picasso, that's going to cost a lot of money. You want to make sure that Picasso made this and not the guy next door. So there needs to be proof of what they call provenance. A very interesting example is an old... No, this is too dark. That's a little bit better. This is an old painting, a very famous painting by a guy called Jan van Eck. You can't well see it, but this is a gentleman who's marrying the lady who's heavily pregnant. They are... Um, this is the, the Arnolfinis. It's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful painting. It's the first time that oil was used in Belgium, Holland. It is a non-religious subject. There is light coming in from... It's quite interesting from an art historical perspective. Sorry you can't see it. An interesting thing is there's a, there's a mirror there, a convex mirror, which shows you the reflection. And there you can see the artist himself actually painting these two people, which of course you see from the back now. Quite, quite useful. Interesting thing is, it was, this is the provenance. It was painted in 1434 by Jan van Eck, paid for by this guy Arnolfini. It was sort of a wedding contract, marriage contract, in the form of a, of a painting. 
a guy called Don Diego de Guevara later on owned it. 1516, he gave it to Margaret of Austria, the Habsburg regent of the Netherlands. And again, this is documented. 1530, inherited by Mary of Hungary, who in 1556 went to live in Spain. Inherited by King Philip of II. 1599, a German visitor saw it in the Alcazar Palace in Madrid, wrote a letter, proof it was there. 1700, listed in the estate of King Carlos. 1794, in the so-called new palace in Madrid, and traceable. 1813, Napoleonic Wars, during the Battle of Vittoria, King Bonaparte, a French guy, fled with treasure of the Spanish royal court. How he got that is not quite clear, but it then was looted by an Englishman, a certain Colonel Hay, in that whole battle. He stole it, basically. Hey. In 1842, it was in public exhibition in London. Same year, it was sold to the National Portrait Gallery for 600 pounds sterling, inventory item number 186. And since then, it's belonged to the National Portrait Gallery. Now, this is as good a history as you can get. Provenance, traceability, else nobody would want to buy this thing. There ain't no market for stuff which is fake or which has been doctored and so on. Very nice example. Um, yeah. What you see here is through the life of this painting, certain events happened. It was sold. It was inherited. Somebody's estate, he died. It was there. In, and that allows us to trace this back. Good. Another example, epidemiology. History of, of diseases. This is London, Soho, 1854. Now, in those days, there was no running water, there was running water, but not, in, you know, reticulated in your house. They had pumps, and there was a pump, and there's a pump, and there's a pump, all the pumps in this area in London. In that year, they had a huge cholera outbreak. People died like flies. And there was a doctor, John Snow, who plotted, where did these people die? Where did they live who died? And those black things there are where the people lived. Now, the, the, the cutting-edge science of those days said that cholera is called by what they used to call miasma, which is foul air. That's what causes it. And now the question that this guy asked is, why is there only foul air here? Why not there? Or the, you know, why is this so localized? And he made a a, a very interesting observation. He says, you know, there's a pump, the Broad Street. I wonder if it's that. And he disassembled the pump. He took off the pump handle. And within three or four days, people stopped dying from cholera. It's, uh, it's, in those days, nobody knew about germs and viruses and bacteria. Get this right. It was a, it was a classic example of tracing a non-infectious disease to its, to its cause, which was at that pump. Of course, nobody believed him. I mean, there's still many people who don't believe that uh, germs cause uh, disease and so on, but, but let's not go there, John. That's another, that's another topic. But it's, it's, uh, and, and, and the pump, that's where it was. That was the cause of the whole thing. Another example of traceability. 
If we go back to the first document which really described systems engineering, way back in the year of our Lord, 1969, 45 years ago, Bill Standard 499, System Engineering Management, it said the following, traceability is the capability to track system requirements from a system function to all elements of the system which collectively or individually perform that function. In other words, from the, from the, from the function to the hardware, if you wish. An element of the system to all functions which it performs, hardware to the function. And a specific requirement to the source analysis or contractual constraint which originated that three up traceability to the user's requirement. And that's, yeah, that's pretty good. It continues. Traceability includes tracking allocated design and technical program requirements through the breakdown structure between the system level and the lowest level of assembly requiring logistics or maintenance consideration. In other words, down the whole tree till a pretty low level. And that's as good a definition of traceability as you'll get today. It also said, another paragraph, correlation, a different term, but today we would still call that traceability. Correlation is the maintenance of the integrity of design parameters of interrelated system elements according to valid functional relationships, physical relationships, environmental dependency relationships as system definition progresses. It must all hang together. Typical examples are the integrity of reliability values between configuration items, subordinate system elements. In other words, there's the system, needs this reliability. Hence this one and that one and that one, uh, they need that. And it must all hang together. Maintenance of a valid weight budget. You and I would uh, like that, John. The assignment of accuracy values to test equipment that correspond to the tolerances to which the mission equipment must be calibrated. We would call that measurement uncertainty nowadays, but you understand the, the, the issue. And this was 1969. What did people do? Well, like nothing. Wor wonderful words, but nobody does anything about it. It's like the weather. Everybody bitches about it. Nobody does anything about it. <laughs> this is the... It was implemented in specifications, as you know, uh, a requirement verification index or a requirement correlation index or traceability index. It really relates the requirements in section 3, section 5 to, first of all, a verification method, 1, 2, 3, or 4, and there are the classic methods, inspection, demonstration, analysis, test, and you select one of them to a verification event, uh, when it's going to happen, and then how are you going to do that? Classic, and this is an example of traceability, which in the mid-80s sort of became good practice. And yeah, I think many people do it nowadays. The other example, there's a stakeholder requirement, user being one of the stakeholders. From that, through a derivation process, we get a system 
requirement. And then, by the same derivation process, we cascade this down to an element of the system, and it can go further down to another element. This element is a system in its own right, so you can recursively take this down however far you want to go down. And that's well understood. It's often known as tree-down or tree-up traceability. Now, one problem. The stakeholder wants something, and he says something in that, but nothing is done about it in the system required. It's totally quiet about it. Problem. It's known as a sterile requirement, a childless, there's no child. Terrible. The customer wants it, nothing's going to happen. The other example is, <coughs> there is a requirement in this element, but the, 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 the parents, you know, the, the next higher assembly says absolutely nothing about it. So you can't trace this up. And that obviously is known as an orphan. It has no parent. And on this basis, you know, the, 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 the rule of thumb in systems engineering is kill those bastards. <laughs> kill the orphans, we don't want them, and kill those sterile bastards. Because, and, and yeah, that's the other part where this is fairly well known and understood in systems engineering, not that it's done all that often. And of course, that's where the, where the, where the title of this comes from, Trace or Die, and uh, the, it's not the tracer that is supposed to die. It is the tracee that is supposed to die. In other words, the requirement that is not traceable. That's the one who's supposed to die. I'm not that bloodthirsty. Example, may I show you a Don Martin Gottlieb? And here is this guy walking around. Check I tune a man, Francois, eat your heart out. Check those toes there. And this guy's walking there, man. Hell, it is wonderful. And he sees this sign, danger, watch out for wet cement. And he comes to a screeching halt. Check that, you know, that, that heel of his. And he just stops in time. Man, this is dangerous. And he looks at this wet cement, what is going on there, and he sees nothing. And, and he takes his foot and tock, 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 you know, but, but it's perfectly hard. And he says, I, what the hell is going on? This must be somebody pulling a joke or an old sign that he decides, I'm going to walk there. And as he walks there, <laughs> that wheelbarrow of, of wet cement falls on his head. And check that, you know. <laughs> yes. yes. You better check these things. That's why, uh, yeah, you better check these things. I'm going to be to really get a handle on, on, on traceability, we need to talk a little bit about verification and validation. Old topics, but it's important to look at them again. Here is the basic systems engineering process. There's a stakeholder requirement, user, one of those stakeholders. Through a derivation process, we get a system designed to requirement, meaning functional requirement. For all intents and purposes, designed to functional, same thing. We cascade that down to an element or an item designed to requirement, wonderful. And then we go into a development process and we end up with an element build to requirement. A uh, uh, not a functional requirement, but a physical requirement. We've got to end up with physical requirements because nobody 
has yet found out how to manufacture a function. You can't manufacture a function. You can only manufacture physical, tangible stuff, things like this, hoping that you will actually have those functions. So we've got to end up with built to, that's the development process. And then, of course, the way that you manufacture the system is with a bottom-up integration and assembly, and there's the system built to requirement. And that's a simple version of the classic V model of system engineering. To end it off, we end up, if we go into manufacturing, with an as-built. It's no longer a requirement, it's now a characteristic. And this we can physically measure there it is or not. So that's the classic V. Just to make the point, the stakeholder requirement could be, company, we're in trouble. We want our market share in lifestyle measure 6 to 8 to increase from 10% now to 15% within two years' time. Classic stakeholder requirement. has nothing to do with a piece of equipment. It's a business requirement. And then through this design process, we decide, you know, we've got to build a new vehicle. And one of the requirements of that vehicle is mean kilometers between failure larger than 50,000. Don't worry <coughs> about the numbers, that doesn't matter. <coughs> and then, cascaded down, that vehicle has a gearbox. The gearbox shall have a mean rotations between failure, 10 to the power 10, whatever the number may be. And then the build too is, to accomplish this, the gearbox shall be manufactured from that number, Martin Citic stainless steel. Not the only one, of course, there are many other build to requirements. Jointly, they'll give you this. There are many elements with many re design to requirements. Jointly, they'll give you that. And then the system build to, the vehicle shall be assembled in accordance with some other assembly procedure. Note, these are completely different sets of requirements. We go from functional to physical, and we go down the hierarchy in the system hierarchy. Wonderful. Now, what do I mean with validation verification? ISO 15288, ISO 9000 use the same definition. Validation, confirmation through the provision of objective evidence that the requirements for a specific intended use or application have been fulfilled. Confirmation, objective evidence. Verification is exactly the same, except that specified requirements have been fulfilled. And that's basically the difference. Verification is against a specification. That's the way I remember it. There's an E there, and there's an E there. Validation is then against that user requirement. And that's well as far as it goes, but it actually leaves a lot of stuff unsaid and undefined. Precisely what is this objective evidence? Where do we get it from? What's, what's behind this? I mean, if you read this, the first time you'll get the objective evidence is once the system has been built, constructed, which is way, 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 way too late to be of any use. So, you know, that's uh, what are we talking about? And, and, and these definitions leave a couple of things unsaid. The basic 
the fundamental issue is as follows, as far as I'm concerned. There's an upstream requirement, and we go through a design or development process, and we end up with a downstream requirement. This may be functional design to, and that may be functional design to. This may be functional design to, that may be physical built to, wherever we are. Let's keep that open. Then we construct a model a model of that downstream requirement. The model is a representation of that requirement. Nothing more. If this is a built-to physical requirement, this will be a physical model. You can touch it, you can use it, you can kick it, you can do whatever you want to with it. If this is a functional requirement, the model will be a mathematical model, an analytic model, a simulation model. In all cases, you have a model that represents that downstream requirement. What do we do with it? We exercise the model. We run the simulation. We drive the prototype vehicle around. And we compare the model's performance with what that upstream requirement was all about. And if that delta is zero, the difference between them, it is, in other words, within tolerances, wonderful. Then we have accomplished verification or validation. The model is a representation of a requirement. Key point. Now, question. There are three things here. We've got an upstream requirement, a downstream requirement, and a model. What have we verified? Which of those three things? What have we validated? The model doesn't count. You know, this exercise might be a destructive test. You know, the model may be gone. So that's not the issue. But which of those two things, the remaining two things, have we now actually verified? Why? What do you mean in the loop? Well, where does this loop start? The principle of a hierarchy. What's valid for the upstream one is also valid for the downstream one. So we're gonna, we have presumably repeated that process here. And if you want to, there and there. And how far do you want me to go? We, we've done this before. Are you happy? So what is it? The upstream or the downstream one? Okay, why? Because the upstream one was done in the previous Okay. Okay. No, perfectly right. That is the only reasonable answer. It is the downstream requirement that we validate against the upstream requirement. If this requirement were a user requirement, it would be validated. If it's a spec requirement, it would be verified. And that's what it says there. A downstream requirement is verified against an upstream requirement. Key point. Don't wait until you've built it. A requirement may be verified many times, that one. Typically three times using increasingly strong verification methods to further improve the conference. And this is important. The result of validation verification is confidence. It's a confidence-building exercise. The three times are, first of all, analytical, mathematical exercise on the down leg of the V. Then on the up leg of the V, it's a qualification test. And then, uh, be that design qualification or process qualification. And then still later when we go into production, it's the acceptance test. Each of them against that requirement. Now, 
if you read if you read the older definitions of validation verification, going back to 1983, old IEEE standard, it says something like that. The process of determining the fitness or worth of a software product, remember, everything we know in systems engineering comes from the software people. Make no mistake, those guys are 20, 30 years ahead of system engineering. So if you want to know what's going to happen in systems engineering 20 years from now, study software for its operational mission and evaluating software at the end of the development process to ensure compliance with software requirements. Yeah, answers the question, are we building the right product? And verification, the interesting thing here is the process of determining whether or not the products of a given software development cycle fulfill the requirements established during the previous phase, which is exactly what we're doing, downstream against upstream. But the newer definition has missed that point. So what we're talking about is the stakeholder requirement, there's a derivation process, the system requirement, design to requirement, and there's a, 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 a derivation process there. And we go back and we validate this against that. This is what we validate. And then we go down the V, there's again a derived process, there may be other stakeholder requirements as well, item or element designed to requirements. And before we go further, we verify that against upstream. And we can go further down and verify. That's the down leg of the V, that's what's meant if we, if we talk about top-down design. That's how we go down the whole process, old stuff. Then there's the item built to requirement. We verify at the end of development, we now have built to physical. We, we verify that against the design to functional. And if that's been happened, we develop integration and assembly instructions. We produce this item, higher level assembly is just assembly. And we have the item built to, for the next higher assembly. And we verify that against its bioqualification process. And it continues until we have the system built to, and we verify that against its original requirement and validate. That's the up leg of the V, which of course is bottom-up qualification. Not to be confused with bottoms up, which is related but not quite <laughs> similar concept. And then, the same up leg of the V we had a minute ago, we manufacture an item. We now have an item as built. Characteristic. No longer a requirement, it's now a characteristic. And we verify that against its built to requirement. Same process with that loop we had earlier on. And then we integrate and assemble all those items, and we get the next higher set, and we verify that, and we get the system, and we verify that. This, of course, is bottom-up production. No longer requirements, now characteristics. Ver what is this verification process? It's an acceptance test. An acceptance test. Acceptance test. Previously, we had a qualification test. This is what... Paul's systems engineering body of knowledge says, 1.2, 2003, it says, to verify a stakeholder requirement or system requirement is to check the application of syntactic, 
and grammatical rules and characteristics defined in the stakeholder requirements definition process and the system requirements definition process, such as necessity, implementation-free, unambiguous, consistent, complete, singular, feasible, traceable, verifiable. And that's, of course, junk. These, these, are, these are often known as the requirements for a requirement. If there's a statement which isn't verifiable, it ain't a requirement. It's bullshit. If there's a statement which is not traceable or ambiguous, it's not a requirement. It's bullshit. What the systems engineering, but as long as it's not bullshit, it's satisfied, then it's verified. Unless they put a strange spin to and characteristics defined in the stakeholder requirements definition process and the system requirements definition process. But this, as far as I'm concerned, is deeply flawed. That's not really what we mean with verification. It's, you know, something against the upstream requirement. The, there's a lady called Orlina Gotel. That's her name. Software engineering. And she, about 20 years ago, did a PhD at, 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 I think it was, yeah, Imperial College or Oxford, I forget which one, on traceability. The first person which really studied and started thinking seriously about traceability. That's, 30, that's 20 years ago. She says, requirements traceability refers to the ability to describe and follow the life of a requirement in both forwards and backwards direction, tree up, tree down. In other words, from its origins, through its development and specification, to its subsequent, subsequent deployment and use. Is it something I said? <laughs> and through all periods of ongoing refinement and iteration in any of these lines. And, and, and that's a very nice spin. Google the lady, she's got a nice website and everything she's published on the topic, you'll find on that, you know, all her papers and so on. It's, 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 it's quite worthwhile. What is the whole boil? Just to go back. She talks about the life cycle of a requirement. What is the life cycle of a requirement? My attempt at the state machine diagram, SysML, UML, we start off and we have an elicited requirement. Somebody told us, hey, if that satisfies the requirement for a requirement, verifiable, traceable, non-ambiguous, non clear, concise, all those good stuff, it becomes a specified requirement. Now it has status. Does this requirement fulfill the upstream requirement? If yes, it's verified or validated depending on what the upstream one may be. Does the customer authenticate that requirement? Then it's baselined. And that is basically the state diagram, those four states. If a legitimate requirement provider proposes a change, it gets killed, and we have a new elicited requirement with at least parts of that requirement will be new. And of course, if the configuration control board deletes the requirement, it's dead. Simple life cycle of a requirement. That's what we need to think of if we talk about traceability. Example, or 
to talk about the details. There are a bunch of stakeholders, users one, two, three. There may be 30, there may be 300. We go through an elicitation process and we end up with the stakeholder requirement. We were talking about this earlier on, important point, this process of elicitation, again, software people taught us about that. What do you do to find out what those requirements are? Yes, no, this is right. We were talking about stakeholder requirements. Man, you get some strange stakeholder requirements here in a specialist office. And here is this guy sitting there, man, check there, you know, and he's check those toes there, and he's playing with the nursing man, they're playing a nice hand, and look at all these, these certificates against the man, this guy has been validated and certified and what have you. He's a great guy. And gring, hey, he's come back. Hey, man, I'm so glad. Gring rings the, rings the, the telephone. And the lady answers. She says, Dr. Flem's office, Nurse Jones speaking, check I turn her. And the answer goes, is Dr. Flem a really top-notch eye, ear, nose, and throat man? And she says, he's one of the best. Man, and look at this guy. He's very pleased. You know, he sits there and he takes the next. And she says, okay, says the guy, I'll be right over. And there you can see this guy. Look at those eyes that he's got there, man. And check that nose of his and those ears and that throat. He needs a really good <laughs> ear and nose. And look at these guys getting the fright of their lives. Yeah, strange stakeholder requirements, eh? Let's go back here. Stakeholders elicit stakeholder requirements. New word. We spoke about validation, verification. In each case, that was against a specified requirement, a document, something along that. What do we do, do in this case? There ain't no document there. And I have elected to use the word to endorse this, endorsement. So we need to get the stakeholders, whoever, whoever originate this particular requirement, to endorse it. Yes, I agree. That's exactly what I said. And we need... There's a relationship there, the endorsement method, which is similar to the verification method, the description, how we're going to do it, the event, when we're going to do it, and the verdict, what's the answer, yes or no. And we need to allocate that stakeholder requirement by directional traceability to a service or a mission, which is what the system will hopefully deliver. And then... Same time, this is what Mill Standard 499 said, there is a planning process. The existence of the stakeholder needs to influence the project plan. Else what do you think is going to happen? Like in Baggerall. And then we go one step down. We derive from that with our classic engineering process a system requirement. Note, stakeholder requirement to a system requirement designed to and again, before we go much further, we validate this system requirement against that stakeholder requirement. We need a validation method, validation description, validation event, and a verdict. And again, this system requirement will be allocated to the system. And there needs to be a plan to do something about that system requirement. And we need traceability in these three directions.
And again, derive, we go to an element requirement, next lower assembly. And this needs to be verified, this requirement against that requirement, with verification method as discussed. And this is allocated to the element, and there better be a project plan in place. So we've got this three up, three down requirements, but that also needs to point to endorsement, validation, verification. And the hardware structure, who implements this, and of course our project plan. Mr. Ritchie, sir. The stakeholder who originated that particular one. Uh, I'm sure you've been there, John, you know, in this project, and one of the guys goes away. Essentially, yes. We need a similar process, you know, like validation. But we, I don't think we can use the same word because it's a slightly different issue. This is the thing we never do. You've been there. Now, now, now the user walks away, he goes on retirement or he gets another job, and everything all of a sudden changes. Well... <laughs> Sure. Solution. Sure. Sure. They'll, they'll, they'll tell you that they want that solution as it's there, but actually that's not what they really want. Well, okay, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. How do you get around that? Just kick the guy. <laughs> He's the client. He's yeah, the uh, yeah, I know, but you can still kick him. <laughs> yes. Daniel? No, I, it's a problem. Of course it's a problem. It's it, it's a standard problem. And you know, it's easy for us to say, look at those stupid guys. We're exactly the same, sir. It's not a customer problem, it's a human problem. I think the trick is maybe to... How did you select your wife, sir? No, she chose me. Okay, I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> she had a pretty poor choice, eh? <laughs> did she do any validation? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Don, let, 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 let's not go there. Embarrass his wife. Let's write on that. <laughs> isn't there... Isn't there uh, No, it's of not, course. It's not in the same manner. No, 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 no. Because you like to endorse often it's um, the sediment has got stirred around a bit. Well, if, if you wish, in that, in that state model it must be at least, uh, what should we call it, at least specified. The next stage was verified, validated, and for that matter endorsed. So, it, 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 yeah, it's not at the same instant. It can't be. The sediments as you were so politely expressing it, needs to settle down. Sediments of what, sir? It's a vain, a vain analogy. Vain, idol. I say idol. Oh, that vain. <laughs> yes, sir. I to say, from experience from software elicitation, what, firstly, you can quite often um, call it validate the requirements with other people, other stakeholders, outside environment. Same principle, you don't want the guy to develop something to test. Um, and the second thing, if you can't do that, then the elicitation process, you actually you take requirements as expressed by the user and you clean them up during the requirement analysis process. Absolutely. So you decouple implementation, sure. you listen to what he's expressed, well, what he's expressing instead of what he's asking for, and then you sit down and you say, if I understand you correctly, and then you give a process to you, and that... If you have to look at the same person, that is what they sign up. But those are system requirements. 
Well, let's distinguish between them. That's part of a question which I want to ask a little bit later about the distinction between what's uh, um, verification versus validation. Okay. And, you know, upstream versus downstream. Okay, before we come to that point, both of you are assuming that you have a customer who pays you to do development. That's not the real world. I'm Toyota. I want, to, I, want to, I want to develop a new product. There are no users yet. I can't speak to anybody because it'll be five years before the model is ready. Now, now, now you can't speak to those stakeholders. You need an intermediate, and that's what marketing is all about. So marketing tells you, uh, we'd, better ch we'd better need some endorsement, pro and it gets very, very, very difficult. You know, so don't think about the classic model where the customer pays for development. Uh, it changes a lot of stuff. So that's my example of talking to another person in marketing, saying if you do this, do you agree with person A? But how do you know marketing has done their job? You know, so you, you might so do some... Elephants all the way down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know that joke, right? I've, I uh, repeat it again. I've heard that one. Well, it's the one where this flat S society. Yeah. So I talk to this lady and she says she believes, believes the earth, earth is flat. So I said, so what does the earth then rest on? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back of an elephant. She says, what is that elephant standing? She says, another elephant. <laughs> <laughs> the, <laughs> the, 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 the story that I heard is actually on a turtle. Okay. Not an elephant, a turtle, and there's another turtle. And if, if I am... Yeah, but he got it from, you know, that's much older. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, the, the Hindu, the Hindu <laughs> old, but it, okay. There's four, there's four elephants under this <laughs> Okay, I'll take your word for it, sir. <laughs> this is, if you wish, the down leg. The, the point is, traceability goes in lots of different directions. It's not only three up, three down. It's to v verify, it's to plan, it's also to allocate. And the thing continues, there's a design tool requirement, and again, verify that, and again, allocate that to an element, and there's a plan. Same one we had a minute ago, this element. And then we go to develop, and we end up with a build to physical requirement, as opposed to a functional design to requirement there. And again, verify, and again, plan, and again, the allocation in this point is, is, is meaningless because the element already does that. Then we go to manufacture and we have an as-built characteristic. And then again, we verify acceptance test. And again, there's a plan. So it goes, if you wish, this is the up leg of the V. And in each case, trace in different directions. And then we continue. Let's say part number one, two, three, four, five. This is a build-to requirement. That's true if you look ahead. If you look back, it's the same as an as-designed requirements. And we go into manufacturing, serial number 101, serial number 102, 103, serial number 103 against part number 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And for each of those serial numbers, we need the as-built characteristics, build history. And then we look at the life of serial number 103. At any point in time, we need the as-operated history, the as-maintained history, the as-repaired history, the as-modified history, characteristics of that particular serial number. And then it will sooner or later come to the end of its life, the as-disposed 
characteristics. This, of course, is, is, is important if it is toxic uh, waste material and stuff like that, nuclear, radioactive things and so on. This, of course, is the classic configuration status accounting system. Traceability, important. We can do it. I mean, look at all the vehicle recalls that the OEMs need to do. Uh, point is, traceability. Very important part thereof. <laughs> One glorious day at the Fair Isle Golf Course. And here is our hero, man, standing there, ready for this golf drive. There's the golf ball, and there's his caddy standing there, very contented. And the guy makes ready with his swing, and thwack, he claps that guy in his face, and zhuit, there go his dentures. But he can't stop now, he's got to continue. And quack, he hits the ball. But he found out, you know, something strange happened at the back of his, his, his stroke. And there's a mid-air intercept. <laughs> the golf ball, and, and man! And plack, plop, clatter, it falls there on the greens. And here you can see these two guys walking up to, you know, the ninth green. There's the dentures and the golf ball, and there are these two guys, and they're marching there. Here you can check Kaituna, man. Now look at this guy. He's got no dentures. He's got a puckered, you know, closed up mouth like that. And, and there they come to it, and the guy readies with his putt. He can't touch the ball, you know, and, and this guy, man, he's sweating. You hope it doesn't happen again. And as he's about to, somebody walks up to him and says, hold it, hold it. That's my ball you're playing. I can tell by the trademark. You bullshitter. He says, that must be yours there in the sand trap. <laughs> and there's another dentures with a golf ball. And check that caddy with that puckered mouth. <laughs> now, that is completely incredible, Varnish. How do you know that this is your golf ball and not somebody else's? You can only do that if the golf ball has been serialized. Else, it doesn't work. Talk about traceability. So what traceability is all about, the pictures we had a minute ago really explain it. We first of all have a requirement trace, an explicit, three up, three down, bi-directional trace between requirements using, and this is important, the validation verification model we had in that closed loop there as the foundation. You can't just say this traces to that, show me the equations or the model how that works in both directions, else you haven't got traceability. An allocation trace, an explicit bidirectional trace between a requirement and the element that implements it. We've been talking about it. A verification trace, an explicit bidirectional trace between a requirement and the verification method, the verification description, the verification event, and the verification verdict. And ditto for validation and for endorsement, just the equivalent thereof. And a configuration trace, number one, an explicit bidirectional trace between an engineering change proposal, wherever in the life cycle for whichever element that happens, and its implementing specification changes, and then, if we're in production, the resultant modifications. Traceability. 
configuration trace number two, an explicit bidirectional trace between a particular version of the product baseline against which we manufacture the build to, the associated part number associated with that version, and then all serial numbers manufactured against that particular part number, that particular baseline. And the third trace, an explicit bidirectional trace between a serial number, any serial number, and its as-built, as operated, as maintained, as repaired, as modified, and if applicable, as disposed configuration status. And the last one then is a project trace, an explicit bidirectional trace between a requirement and the work breakdown structure task or activity that implements it, including its associated budget, associated schedule, when it's going to happen, associated deliverables, as well as the responsibility assigned, the details of the project plan. And that's really what traceability is all about. To take a step back, back and this is about the last step, there's an object, whichever the object is, and there is the life cycle of that object. What we need is for that object to leave a track, just like an animal leaves a track. And once there's a track, we can trace it. It's a very nice analogy if you talk about animals in the days when we were still hunting for our food. There's an animal which leaves a spoor, a track. Whatever it does, it leaves the track. It's part of the process of living. And then you come along and then you see there's a track there, and from that track you can trace it, either downstream or upstream. In other words, where did the animal go to? Where does it come from? And this is a nice model to discuss and to end off our discussion on traceability. The key point is, with animals, this track is automatic. You can't live your life without leaving tracks. That's why it's possible to trace it. All of us nowadays leave lots of tracks. Your cell phone, you know, everybody you spoke to, transactions in the bank. If you go to big cities like London and so on, there are tens of thousands of closed-loop cameras all the time. And if some bomb goes off, they just... And, and, and who was walking there? And they check, you know, facial recognition. It's surprising the tracks that we as modern people live behind, which people can, of course, then trace. That's a very good example. The engineering process, the requirement, we want the total life of the requirement to automatically leave a track. Then we can trace it. The, the disadvantage come, <coughs> comes where that life cycle does not automatically leave a track. And engineering is like, it's not automatically that there's a track. We need to make sure that the, that the life cycle of a requirement leaves that track behind. If you look at your luggage in the, uh, on an airline when you go flying overseas or wherever, that luggage sometimes gets sent to a wrong destination. But they can trace it back. There's, you know, there's some barcodes on there. Wherever that uh, piece of luggage enters an uh, uh, um, uh, 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 airport or exits it, that gets scanned. And it leaves a track, which somebody can trace should it be necessary.
And that's a very nice model. We should design our engineering process that it automatically leaves the track. If it doesn't, it's difficult. The way we've been doing traceability in the past, just about until today, is, a, is by means of matrices or tables, cross-referencing stuff one to another. It's a manual process. It's expensive. It's time-consuming. It's a pain in the ass. It's error-prone. And we really only do it after the fact as a bookkeeping type of exercise. And, and that's not very useful. This is a nice model. That track is the only way we can trace it. And that track should be part and parcel of that process, the life cycle of that object. If you look at food manufacturing, or you buy some other uh, uh, mutti at the pharmacy, and you, you eat the pill and you die, well, they can trace back via the lot where it came from, and all the raw traceability. Again, not automatically, but there's a track left behind. If we look at art provenance we started off with, selling the piece of artwork, putting it in a gallery, that leaves a track. Automatically, you don't have to do anything else. We need to change engineering to make that track laying part and parcel of the basic engineering process. One fine day in the city. And here's this guy, man, minding his own business, whistling some other song, check his toes there. And some, somebody comes walking past him. And the guy's jittering a little bit. And I say, that's strange. And the guy enters the door there, he goes through the door. Minute later, there's another guy jittering all along. Look at, look at his tongue there, man. Check that toe there. And the guy, he also, he goes through the door. And this guy's getting interested. What on earth is happening there? And, gee, now he gets... Look at this poor guy, man. He's really in a bad shape. And, hell, man. And he also goes through the door. And this guy is now getting ready. What on earth is going on? And he enters the door. He decides to go and have a look to validate this. <laughs> and there you see the pneumatic drill operators trade union having the annual general you see all this <laughs> hey man even the president is a little bit jittery I thought that's not a bad note on which to stop is it Ali Tuesa? Gotta go, he says. Are there any questions? Yes, sir. Please, please. Please. What's the difference between validation and verification? When are you doing validation? When are you doing verification? And the core of that boils down to what is the requirement and what is the specification of that. So just to. For example, is it just, you know, uh, is it just a hierarchical thing? Uh, you take your example earlier, saying we want to increase our LSM yeah. 6 to 8 percentage by 5. That's actually a specification. Well... To make more money. As a okay, but the point is, I always try to make a distinction between a business requirement 
as opposed to a system requirement, a technical requirement for a system. The business requirement has something to do with the business processes. What, why is this business there? You know, and, and that always boils down to revenue, profitability, quality, market, you know, that kind of stuff, market share. So that's fairly, if it's that, it's a business requirement. Then we go through an engineering process, what's the best solution to solve that business problem? And then we get some or other engineered system, a new vehicle or whatever it may be. Uh, that to me is a, is a clean distinction. Uh, yes, you can use the word specification for both, but don't. Specifications is really for engineering type of documents. Yes, it's a loosely, word, you, uh, loosely used word, but I try not to do that. So don't call the first one a specification, you know, the user requirement. However, we have the requirements for a requirement. They're also true for the business requirement. But don't clap the business user if he doesn't give it to you like that. We can always do the homework to polish it up later on. That's not the distinction. The question is, is it a business requirement, statement of the problem, or is it a solution specification? And that's the spec for the solution then. That's the distinction I make. That's a fairly clear, of course, there's some gray in between. Um, and, and, and then... Yeah, but they always talk about the software. They don't talk about the business. It's a business problem. The business of business is business. Not to make software. That's not a business, get real. So, and, and against the business requirement, that's validation. Against all the further, that's verification. Against the specified requirement. Now, in both cases, it only makes sense to talk about a requirement. You, you, you validate, verify a requirement. The collection of all those requirements, you can put into a use case or in a specification, that's fine. But the verification is really per requirement. That's my take to the on, you know, on, on, on that answer. Okay. But, but software people don't talk business. I still have to meet the software guy who talks. They call themselves business anal analysis. They talk about the analysis of how the software system has to work. And of course that's a system. It's not business. And again, that's not an engineering problem. Again, that's a business problem. It doesn't follow that engineers are the best people to solve business problems. When Toyota writes down the requirement for a new vehicle, what, what do you think is the first thing that they specify there? The stale, the but the biggest stakeholder is Toyota Motor Corporation. And they will say, the sales price in today's yen will be... That may be true. But the system requirement has to satisfy that. It must be validated against that cost. Who are we, sir? Yes, sir. Never mind the cost. <laughs> exactly. No, but, but and it shows. I mean, uh, that's sort of, yeah, okay, that's the question about business requirements again. You also had a problem, a uh, question, sir. No, I was just thinking on your uh, thesis of interest that you're working on. In principle, you can, you can do validation on your top level 
If that top level is a business problem, if it ain't a business problem, it's verification. That's my take on it. But can't be any lower. Some people, some people say anything upstream by definition is validation. Anything downstream is, but that defeats the whole object. I mean, that's not the definition. My thing? You You've never seen my thing, man. What are you talking about? Far from Pradian. Can you read it out? I'll edit this out. Specification is something that you're basically just writing down. Yeah. It's not necessarily, you can write, you can specify requirements by writing it down. So it's more. And if I type it in, is that writing down as well? For certain, for that way, it works. If we're to buy a loss, we're. That's where you're coming with the user requirement specification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't go there. Don't go there. Are there any more intelligent questions than that? I was just joking. Any questions, please, sir? Yeah. And the specifications or, or the user requirements are coming somewhere in the middle. Um, and then endorsement comes into play and it's trying to connect yeah. these two levels. Um, and sometimes there could be a disconnect as well with endorsement is just going to be. Um, yeah, absolutely. But if you're Toyota, you're spending a billion US dollars developing your vehicle, you want to make very sure that what you're doing is the right thing. You're going to spend some money on that endorsement. Process. I mean, it's crucial. And the problem is, it's against individuals. And those people leave and you can't get hold of them. And uh, what do you do? You know, it, it is really a very serious problem. All systems engineering starts with a document. Where the hell does that document come from? And, and that's the much more important question. And, you know, absolutely, I fully agree with what you're saying. About what? <laughs> you were statement earlier about the difference between business, business being not being the business of engineers. Of course not. Um, and I'm not so sure about that. I think there's, there's definitely there's a role for systems engineering in translation of that strategy. That may be true. Lower level, call it requirements. That, I that think there's, there's a lot of gaps in terms of traceability, in terms of call it, you know, in that case it could be verification even. Uh, the types of practices you would follow, um, having good practices like independent... Sure, but that's not unique to engineering. No, Accountants not. and auditors do the same stuff. The food manufacturers, you know, lots of people do traceability by whatever name. Or so, you know, so yeah, of course systems engineering can play a huge role. But don't say, you know, like, like where's, uh, he left now, this extra guy. He was saying only engineers can do this kind of work. Yeah, I'll be, uh, uh, bum, bum. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, it depends. Which contract are you talking about, sir? Yeah. Yeah. 
What are the pins? Sure, sure, sure. It depends who the customer is and what his request for proposal said. If that request for proposal was a specification, as it often is, all you have to do is just construct the thing exactly according to that spec. If it doesn't work, not your problem, as long as it satisfies the spec. If you go to civil engineering, they only talk about physical stuff, concrete this thick with so much you know, cladding and stuff like If you do that, that's the only requirement you've got to do. Whether that solves a problem, not your business. But if the customer gives you a problem, now you've got to be careful. Does he, you come up with the proposal, in that process you have hopefully solved the problem, you know, went through alternatives and solved the problem. Uh, but then you will be held against that you solved the problem. So the legal liabilities are completely different. Um, if you go into procurement, one of the good rules of thumb, thumb is if it's a big project, don't take the total project life cycle and make that one contract. The reason of the project life cycle is that you have stages with gate decisions in between. If you accept that, it means per stage you have a separate contract. So you have the first contract to take this business problem, translate it to the best, just a spec of the best, and that's one contract, deliverable system spec. And then you, that's the much more clever way of contracting. But customers aren't usually all that clever, and they pay for that because, I mean, the risk is... And then it's a fixed price basis as well. So, uh, so yeah, be careful. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Are there any other questions? Brian, you haven't said anything this evening. Is that what you were doing? <laughs> Thank you, sir.